0: I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble. Gum. They want benign indifference. They want us drunk. We could be pets. we could be food. but all we really are is livestock. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. The world needs a wake-up call. We're gonna phone it in. Today's topic, Walt Disney. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be interesting. Because I'm not going to look at it as everyone else looks at Disney. A.K.A. the greatest place on earth. Happiest place on earth. I'm going to look at the other side of Disney. And see the dark side of Disney. Some of the connections that Disney has. That aren't so on the up and up. And one of the things I want to look at is how did Disney become so big? What got them that powerful? And and one of the things we'll realize as we go through this course of this show is you have to have connections to make it as big as Disney. You look at guys like Jeff Bezos. It turns out his grandfather was a part of DARPA. You look at Bill Gates. His mother was big into IBM. His father was eugenicist. So these people that they want us to believe these stories, where they come out of nowhere, tend to be false. Now, I'm not saying that's the truth about Disney here, but what I will tell you is there's two sides to Walt Disney. Two sides to Walt Disney the man, and two sides to Walt Disney the corporation. So one of the things I want you to consider is, as with everything after World War II, and when we got... Post-Operation Paperclip, you have to start looking at inversion. You have to start looking at magic. I know a lot of these terms seem a little bit off to some. But if you look at where we are today, a lot of people are walking around in a spell. Because one of the things you'll realize is these people that are in charge, they're master illusionists. They will present things in one way. When in reality, they may be another. And Disney's not any different than that. And one of the things you'll see in this episode is that Walt Disney has ties to the occult. He has ties to Nazis. He has ties to dark magic, secret societies. And so as we go through this, now, again, and I will say this every episode do your research. Don't take my word for it. And I'll be the first to admit that I'm wrong when I am wrong, but this is one thing that I've been researching for quite a while, and you'll see the other side of Walt Disney. So one of the things I want to start out with is a quote from Albert Pike in his book Morals and Dogma from 1871. He says, Masonry, like all the religions, all the mysteries, hermeticism and alchemy, conceals its secrets from all except the adepts and sages, or the elect, and uses false explanations and misses, misinterpretations of its symbols to mislead those who deserve only to be misled, to conceal the truth, which is calls light from them, and draw them away from it. Truth is not for those who are unworthy or unable to receive it, or would pervert it. So basically right there, what I want you to think about is we're not always supposed to know the truth in their eyes because we are less than. We are not always equal to. And one of the things that as we dive into Disney, I start questioning what is the purpose of it? Is it just to entertain children or is it to program an entire generation? So let's look at Walt Disney the man. We'll look at his personal life his lifestyle growing up, some of the rumors about him, and we'll take it from there. Now an interesting thing is, everything seems to always be connected, and one of the weird connections I found through this, looking into another subject, which was the Chicago Exposition of 1893, and if you haven't checked that out, I highly recommend looking into that fascinating topic, and we will get into that at some point uh, deeper in our shows, But in 1893 at the Chicago Expo, Walt Disney's father worked as a carpenter and a furniture maker. And if you know anything about that expo, the craftsmanship there was first class. It cannot be reproduced today for the most part. So to have Walt Disney's father work there, well then, what happened in 1964? Walt Disney himself helped design the New York World Fair. And this is where we were introduced to It's a Small World. Now, It's a Small World in Itself is a very interesting concept that we can dig into a little bit, but it goes into that mindset of we're on this small planet, we're condensed, we're limited, when in reality, there is no scarcity. There's abundance. And we have to realize this as we go through and and not fall for these tricks. And so one of the things you're going to realize is is, although we may not believe in the tricks the magic the spell that they're working they do and that's where the power is so let's look at Walt Disney a little bit he was born in 1901 in the Midwest Uh, lived an average Midwest lifestyle very patriotic as a youngster Uh, one of the things he wanted to do he wanted to go over and serve in World War One but he wasn't old enough he tried and they just told him you're not old enough So what did he do? He forged his papers, and he joined the Red Cross Ambulance Corps. And he went over and served in France from uh, 1918 until October of 1919. And then he came back. And what's interesting about when he came back is he toiled in what he wanted to do. So he started doing some illustrations. He started a studio with a gentleman by the name of Ubi Works in 1922. But by 1923, it went bankrupt. Uh, It it didn't really work out. But then, in 1923, Disney starts a studio with his brother Roy, the Disney Brothers Studio, which would eventually become the Walt Disney Company, to produce films and, and cartoons and things like that. And they brought in UBI Works to work with them, because he was the real designer of mickey mouse he was the creator he was the real artist in the initial uh disney productions you know he was the main animator walt disney was basically just the voice for mickey mouse and he was a pretty good marketer but if you get into it you start seeing that you know walt disney is two separate people right he was rumored to be a chain smoker he was rumored to be a freemason rumored to be a racist, sexist, misogynist, a Nazi, a Satanist, a wizard or ma- a magician, an anti-Semitic. And it gets us into this duality of two Walt Disneys. Which one was there? Now, is he this cleaner than can be, you know, untouchable reputation that, that Disney company wants you to believe? No, but most certainly not. He had his flaws like every human. On the other side, do I believe that he is the devil reincarnate? No, 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 no. Like I said before, everyone has their flaws. And Disney itself as a company has its flaws. I mean, you look at, in 1946, they produced a, a, a cartoon called Song in the South. Very racist film. Very racist. And in fact, you cannot find it today. Walt Disney himself... I guess you could say, you know, this is where the misogyny comes from, is that in 1938, he would not let females be animators. Um, You know, and, and he even went as far as to ensure that the voice of Snow White never worked again, so that her voice was pure for that Snow White character. In 1938, he produced a cartoon with lemmings, where they rumored to push the lemmings off a cliff. Uh, I I don't know about that, if it's real or not, but again, it's one of those rumors. Now there was a gentleman named uh, Mark Elliott who put out a book in 1993, Walt Disney, Hollywood's Dark Prince. Now that has some very, very interesting conspiracies in it about Walt Disney, some very extreme, which have some credence to them and some that are very outrageous you know such as walt disney was the love child of of spanish descent and there's a whole bunch of them that really go off track and wild but disney had his flaws so one of the things that you'll realize is that it shows up in the productions later in his films and and one of the things that shaped disney later in his life i mean he was 35 at the time almost 40 is that in 19 early 1940s walt disney bought a home for his parents and uh they had an issue with the furnace and he needed to have it fixed well he had his studio guys go over and fix it unfortunately the housekeeper came over the next day and his mother and father were both passed out in the house. Unfortunately, his mother passed, and his father was sick, went to the hospital, but eventually recovered, and it was due to the faulty work from the furnace. So some will say that this impacted the way that Walt uh, does his productions and some of the themes in his movies, like a deceased parent, no parents. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But that's something to always keep in mind Now, on the other side of that, if you want to play the ultimate conspiracy theorist or go the the Larry Johnson route of things, one could almost say that this was his sacrifice, right? They always say that in in the occult magic, you have to have a sacrifice in order to move forward, to be promoted within it. Now, do I believe that? No, I don't. I, I haven't found any evidence to correlate that. But that's always something you have to keep in mind when you're dealing with people that are on the level of a Disney. Now let's get into a little bit about Disney himself and his ties to secret societies. So at the age of 19, Walt Disney joined the Demolay, which is a group that is like the Masons, right? It's an international fraternal organization for boys 12 to 21. So it's like the JV of Freemasonry of Rosicrucianism things like that and it was named after Jacques de Molay the last Grand Master of the Knights Templar so already there you're making some connections right? They're not a separate organization from Masonry they're they're a part of it you know like I said before it's like the JV even on their own website it says de Molay chapters are sponsored by the Masons through local Masonic lodges Shrine Clubs, Scottish Rite Bodies, and other Masonic organizations. And Walt Disney was schooled in the Masonic Doctrine. So, looking at that, there's going to be some ties there throughout. Now, he was even to go as far as being elected into their Legion of Honor, which is the Hall of Fame for the uh, de Molay's Founder Cross for mutual loyalty and respect. And he was elected in 1931, so it was only 10 years after he was inducted into this organization was he put into the Hall of Fame. Now, granted, his stature hadn't reached worldwide fame at this point, but he had become larger. Some have claimed that he was a part of the Rosicrucian order. Um... But again, I, I haven't found a lot to support that, you know, some articles here and there. But there's no real foundation that I can go on. The one thing that I can go on is that he was a member of the Demolay. And now if I go a little bit deeper into that, he actually, and this is was kind of strange. I was digging through some uh, FBI files, and one of the things I found was a letter in 1936 from a special agent in charge, William A. Smith, and it says, Dear Sir, there are being transmitted here with fingerprint cards of Walter E. Disney, and a name which has been redacted or blacked out, which are being forwarded to you personally in accordance with instructions from Inspector Lester. These fingerprints were taken by Bureau agents during the course of a demolition convention at Kansas City, Missouri. So right there is the evidence that obviously he is in this organization. So what does that have to do with anything? Well, you look at many of the stories that Disney has presented and cultivated over the years, and a lot of them have occult themes to them, occult myths. You know, you look at such films like Alice in Wonderland or Cinderella, The Sword in the Stone, um, and, and you go to movies today like Brave and Frozen and Maleficent. They're all dealing with this occultic undertone, this magic, battle between dark and light. And Disney has masterfully done this. I mean, he, he skillfully created characters, the storylines, the plots to get people thinking in one direction, but at the same time he's using powerful subliminal messages, imagery, and symbolism of the occult, of witchcraft, of paganism, the Illuminati, the Masons, and even some sexual orientation that is unacceptable for children. You know, especially for children's programming. But a lot of people overlook it. Or they just poo-poo it. Oh, it's just Disney. But what he has done is masterfully blended that border separating good and evil. And and the lines are now blurred as to, well, it might not be that evil. I mean, let's, one example is look at Disney's Little Mermaid, right? Ariel, she signs a contract with the evil witch Ursula and essentially sells her soul to her just in in, in exchange for being a human being, so that she can marry a prince. And what does she do? She gives up her voice. How powerful is your voice? If if that's the one thing you give up, what do you have left? Then you look at 2006. They put out uh, the National Treasure movie, which is full with Freemasonry symbolisms, Gnosticism, and honestly, Gnosticism, that's just knowledge, right? I mean, that's all, all it means is knowledge, advanced knowledge. So when we start looking into to Disney, now we see that he has, okay, he's in the Demolay. That's just a coincidence, right? Remember what we said in the first episode, there's no such thing as coincidences. So let's go to his club, the Disney Club 33, which opened up in 1967 in California. And it's, it's said to be modeled after a lot of the executive lounges that he designed in, for the 1964 World's Fair. However, Disney never saw this open up because he passed away in 1966. But he was part of the initial design and, 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 and layout of creating and getting this club going. And it's called Club 33. It's located at 33 Royal Street in Disneyland which is just so happens to be located on the 33rd parallel north. Now, you're saying, ah, it's just a... No, 33 is a number that is used by the Masons. Again, if you don't believe in it, that's fine. But they do. There is a power in numbers that they use. There is a power in symbols, sigils. Everything has a meaning to them, and it may not mean anything to you. But when you start digging into the power that they believe it has, that's where the magic happens. Now this club, it's an elite club, obviously, invitation only, and it's limited to about 500 members. The last I checked, it was uh, some astronomical, over 10-year wait to get into this club. The membership's not transferable, so if your parents are members, it doesn't mean that you're going to inherit their membership. You go to the back of the line, just like everybody else. Now, what's interesting about this? Club Thirty Three membership fees. How much you think it would be cost to be a member? The initial membership fee at one of the, some of the clubs: thirty three thousand dollars. I mean, guys, you can't make this stuff up. Now, that's just the initial membership fee. Then there's an additional anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand annual dues. So, as you're seeing here, this is a very elite club, as I said before. Now, we get inside the club. has a black and white checkered floor. Where have you seen that before? That is a ultimate Masonic sign. Duality. Dark and light. Black and white. Right? We get into the, all the draperies in the place are blue and gold, which are the colors on the Masonic emblem. It has two pillars, just like the two pillars in Freemasonry, Joaquin and Boaz. Now we look at, initially it started with this one club in California. Now we're up to about seven of them. They opened up one in Shanghai. There's one in Tokyo. There's one in Orlando. And there's four clubs at the Magic Kingdom, Epcot, uh, Hollywood Studios, and Animal Kingdom. So now there's seven. Now, what does this get you? <laughs> in in reality, it gets you just VIP status, essentially. You get, uh, you know, as far as perks go, you get a premier passport for yourself, your spouse, and any children under 26. You get, uh, you can come to the park any day, Walt Disney World or Walt Disneyland. There's no blockout dates. Uh, you know, you get free parking. You get some some merchandise, uh, dinner service, things like that. So overall, if you have an extra thirty-five to fifty grand, you want to blow and you want to wait in line for about twelve years, try and join the, the uh, Club Thirty-Three of Walt Disney World, and you can be in the elite club, elite status. So now, one of the things we're going to look at is not only did he have ties to secret societies, he had ties to the FBI. CIA, NASA, MKUltra, Mind Control Program, and even ties, possibly, to Jeffrey Epstein. So as we dig into this a little more, let's look into his ties with the FBI. Now as we go into this, we're going to look at it, and and one of the things you're going to notice is, or, or, or you have to remember is, Walt Disney is considered a patriot. He's considered a very American. Well, at one point, he is tied in with this group uh, accidentally. Uh, the, he, in 1944, he is in a People's Voice issue of New Masses to honor Art Young. Uh, however, this publication tended to be a voice for the Communist Party. However, after the FBI dug into it a little bit more, they said, no, 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 Disney's clean. He's not part of the Communist Party. So a few years later, in 1947, Disney's brought in to testify um, in front of the House Un-American Activities Committee, aka the Red Scare Witch Hunt of the 1940s and 50s, when they were trying to find any communists that may be lurking among the ranks. A novel concept today, right? Where we're looking for the opposite. Today, they're hunting out the patriots, right? If you question the narrative or you're too patriotic, you are now subject to this new form of witch hunt, which is social media silencing, shadow bans, or out-and-out arrest, like they did for from January sixth. So. Again, you have to realize these plans change over time. But the bottom line remains the same. They want the control, they want the power, and they want to know what you're going to do before you do it. So based on this testimony uh, at the trial, and basically what Disney did here was he spoke out against his striking workers. He called them a bunch of communists, all of them for striking against him, wanting higher wages, wanting uh, limited time uh, working hours. I mean, this is just mind-blowing. And the funniest part about it is he even called out the League of Women Voters and said that they were communist. Now, of course, much like today, he got a ton of backlash and he eventually... Uh, recounted, recalled his quote and said that he misspoke. So, you'll see here though, but by doing that and giving his name and face to that witch hunt, he legitimized it in the public's eye to many. And that's what they do. They use these guys for certain roles, for certain tools. And that's what they turn into, a tool. And then they're rewarded for their participation. So what did Disney do? Based on his intent, he wanted to, to be in good graces with the FBI. He wanted his company to succeed. So what did he do? He, When Disneyland was off, opened up in 1965, he offered the FBI, for official matters and recreational purposes, Full use of his studios. Well, that's an interesting thing to offer to the FBI. What would the FBI need his studios for? Well, he wanted to team with Disney to make some shows to make the FBI look good. And in fact, they did. In 1958, they produced three shows through the Mickey Mouse Club, which they promoted the FBI. And, and really pushed the FBI as being a very, very stand-up organization. I question that a little bit, but hey, again, you're going to see Walt Disney plays ball, and in the end, he is rewarded. Now, this is one that when I started digging into it at first, I, I couldn't believe it, because it seemed too out there. But we look at Disney's ties to the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency. 1955, he opened his Disneyland in Anaheim, California, which is the happiest place on Earth. About a decade later, he wanted to open up another theme park. And he wanted to, to get this new type of city out there, the City of Tomorrow. He called it the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow, or Epcot. But he needed somewhere to put it. He already had Disneyland up up and functioning. But he didn't want to spend a lot of money. He wanted to do it on as cheap as he could, but yet make it as fantastic as he could. Which I don't blame him, right? I mean, that's business nowadays. However, the route that he went was quite interesting. He went out and he hired two CIA spooks. One by the name of Wild Bill Donovan and one by the name of Paul Hellwell. Now, these two gentlemen are very interesting. And Paul Hellwell was a CIA operative in Southeast Asia that was responsible for setting up small businesses to counter communism in Southeast Asia. Obviously, this is during the Vietnam time, Vietnam War. But he also grabbed Wild Bill Donovan. Now, Donovan is an interesting character in himself because he was the head of the OSS, which was the precursor to the CIA. And each of these guys was given their own job in this. So basically what their scheme was, let's get as much land as we can for as cheaply as possible without anyone knowing about it. So how did they do this? Well, Donovan used his law firm... Donovan, Leisure, Newton, and Irvine, along with uh, in order to create some shell companies. And what these shell companies would do is they would go around and they would purchase plots of land in Florida, in the Orlando area. And but he would do it through these shell companies so that no one knew who was buying up all this land. Because obviously, if people found out, who was buying up all this land, or if one person was buying up all this land, they would obviously drive the price up. So in order to keep the price down, not only did they create these shell companies, but they also spread misinformation, deceit, and paid journalists and media to put out false information. One of the things they would say is that it was the Ford Motor Company that was gonna buy up all this land. And by pay, by doing this, they were able to grab up about 40,000 square miles, or 27,000 acres. And they were able to grab some of the acres for as little as $80 an acre. But on average, they got it for about $200 an acre. Now think about that. 40 square miles, 27,000 acres of land they got. For about $200 an acre. As soon as they found out it was Disney Company that was buying it all up, the land value shot up to $80,000. Not a bad investment for Disney, huh? Now that they have the land, now they have to find a way to maximize the use of the land. And this is where HelloL comes in. He was familiar with setting up dummy companies. Well, what he wanted to do here was create Phantom Cities, where he could create, install a government, a compliant government, and essentially make their own rules. So what they did is they created these two towns called Bay Lake and Lake Buena Vista. And the only residents of these areas were hand-picked, so that they could have control of how they voted. Now, it's interesting because if you look at this, it was a blatant violation of the U.S. and Florida Constitution. But they were able to work around it. They required each candidate for office must be the owner, either directly or as a trustee, of real property situated in the city in order to be eligible to hold the office of councilman. So right there... The only way that you can serve is to be a resident. If they handpick the (laughs) residents, then they essentially will decide how it's run. So let's look into this a little bit. Bay Lake, as of 2010, the population was 47. And this is where the uh, Epcot is, is located, is Bay Lake. Lake Buena Vista, has it had a population of about 10? And this is where downtown Disney is, the hotels, and so you start seeing this. Well, now, what else do they need? They need services. So, what do they do? They create a phantom company called Reedy Creek Improvement District, which served as the civic, you know, government operations on things like trash removal. Uh, medical services, you know fire departments, things like that, and so through Disney's lawyers, they were able to control everything in this area, and what did the the CIA now had future land to work with disney and and not only that, but they were masterful in how they designed it they designed it in a way that since they had these two cities, and they had Reedy Creek Improvement District, Disney now became exempt from taxation, zoning, and land use laws, and any public money generated within the theme park would stay in the business. So they basically used fake governments to control the land use, and then make sure that all the money from the theme park stayed in Disney's private hands. So essentially, the state of Florida, it's almost like an independent country within Florida. Because the state of Florida has no authority to shut down a single ride in Walt Disney World, in in Orlando. Let alone protect them if anyone should get injured or hurt at the park. So this is one thing when I started digging into it that I found that it was really eye-opening. Now, A, you got to give them credit because it's a brilliant scheme, but on the other side of things, it's not right because they have full control, full autonomy of this land and are tax exempt, which, you know, many, many big businesses are today. You know, they keep increasing taxes for the little guy and the guys that are making the billions and billions of dollars pay the least amount of taxes. What a wonderful system we have, right? Now let's dig a little bit deeper into the CIA ties. Now why would Walt Disney have such close ties with the CIA other than power, right? Well, one of the things that was big in the CIA at this time in the late 50s, right after World War II was they were working on their mind control program which was known as Project Artichoke initially, MKUltra, Project Monarch, all names which if you're not familiar with them, look into it. They're all CIA projects, they were all run on citizens, soldiers, civilians, everyone knowingly and unknowingly at times and The mastermind behind all this was a gentleman by the name of Alan Dulles Alan Dulles will be a spook that pops up in a lot of places When I do uh, my Jesuit episode later on He'll you'll see him there you see him in di- in this Disney one You'll see him in any mind control, he was huge in Operation Paperclip, which was bringing over thousands of Nazi scientists into the American system, many of which were war criminals. Well, how do they do this? How do they they get in here without causing a big stir? Well, this is another operation called Operation Mockingbird, which is a large-scale CIA program that was organized by Dulles it was designed to manipulate the news media for propaganda purposes in the 1950s. The CIA spent millions of dollars every year hiring journalists in corporate media like Disney and ABC and others to promote their point of view, their narrative. The original operation it had supposedly 3,000 CIA operatives and about 400 journalists. So knowing this now, the CIA has use for Disney, obviously, because they can use it as a message board, and Disney now has a use for the CIA. After They're kind of in debt to them after acquiring all that land and all that help that they had. And one of the things that's interesting is that they, they teamed together to do hundreds of shows and movies through the Walt Disney Company. And in fact... Uh, the CIA liked to brag about Disney's special effects wizard Robert Cary Broughton. He created award-winning films for both Disney and the OSS/CIA. So this guy was working on both sides of the fence. Now, okay, they own the media; they have their hands in the media. They're they're trying to get out a certain message. Well, the scarier program and the more sinister program of all this is the MKUltra or Project Monarch uh, operation. And in 1953, as a direct result of Nazi scientists coming over and taking the Nazi program of mind control over, they used methodologies to manipulate individual mental states and alter brain function, including (laughs) serotypic. administration of drugs and other chemicals, sensory deprivation, isolation, verbal, and sex abuse in order to induce a state of trauma-based mind control in their victims. Now you say, well, wait a second. How could that have anything to do with... mind control, you know, with Disney? Well... In fact, Fritz Springmeier thinks it's even darker, the relationship. And here's a quote from Fritz Springmeier in his book, Deeper Insights into the Illuminati Formula. The author, being Fritz Springmeier, theorizes that the reason the FBI and the CIA are so touchy about letting people know that Walt worked for the government is that the network knows how the FBI and CIA work together to procure children for mind-control programming purposes. Because Disney and Disneyland played such an enormous role in mind control, Disney's connection to them, although on the surface a seemingly minor fact, is in reality a minor fact sitting on top of an enormous ghastly secret. So what he's saying there is that the CIA wanted it for children. Wanted to use Disney for mind control operations, which... I can't disagree with. The more I research Disney, the more I see that it is one giant mind control operation. And the whole purpose of it is mind control. Subliminal programming, subliminal messaging. They're not going to do it overtly and directly in your face. But through child entertainment, they're able to program the children into believing certain messages, certain narratives that they put out. And we'll get back to this here in in a minute um, after we run through one more relationship that's really interesting, and that is Walt Disney and NASA and his involvement in NASA. Because if any of you know NASA, NASA is the ultimate deceivers. Now is everyone at NASA a deceiver? No no it's not everyone in every in these groups but there are high ranking members that are deceivers that have an alternate agenda on hand and one of the interesting things that i found as dig- digging into disney's ties to nasa was a his relationship w- with werner von braun who again is probably the number 1 Guy, they got over in Operation Paperclip, the most famous. And the other thing is that they created this term called science factual. And if you look at where we are today with the whole trust science movement, which is absolute bullshit because the whole purpose of science is to question things and to continue to question. So, to in fact just flat out trust science is going against science. And that's what people need to realize today because one of the things I want to show here is how this ties into today and what they wanted to do. This is science factual. They want you to believe that what they're presenting is the facts. Period. Don't question it. Just go with it. So one of the interesting things is the relationship between Von Braun and Disney. And this is one that just blew my mind when I dug into it because they were taking Disney's platform, which is, you know, entertainment, and and now they were going to use it in the age of television. And what he did is he booked Von Braun as a a technical advisor on three space-related TV films that Disney would produce in the 1950s. In the heat of the Cold War. The booming space race, right? These are all terms that we heard. And so what, what did they do? They created three the three shows. Man in Space, Man in the Moon, and Mars and Beyond. And what's interesting is that Disney used Von Braun as much as Von Braun used Disney. Von, Disney used Von Braun for the World of Tomorrow. He was one of his main experts on the world of tomorrow and how they think the future should look. How are they going to shape the future narrative? So the first episode was a huge success, Man in Space. It aired in March 9th of 1955 on ABC. The whole objective of it was to combine what von Braun said as the tools of our trade with the knowledge of the scientists to give a factual picture of the latest plans of man's newest adventure, what they would call science factual. 42 million people saw this. Now, mind you, this is in a day and age before DVR or VHS recording. These are 42 million people at once watched this science factual series. That's a lot of influence. Back when the population wasn't, you know, 330 million, they want to say today. It was such a success that even President Dwight Eisenhower called Disney to compliment him and asked for a copy that could be shown to all the top space-related officials in the Pentagon. So they were going to show this to the Pentagon. That's how much they viewed the importance of this Nazi-produced film. Now, Disney kept going with these, and the second one was The Man in the Moon, which obviously was alluding to us getting someone on the moon eventually. And it was, it began with a bunch of animated sequences, you know, where they had different legends or superstitions about the moon. And, you know, one, one of the ones that came out of it was the idea of, a, of, of the left back foot of a rabbit being lucky. I don't understand it. I don't know how they come to it, but what, what is that? That's one of those occult things that you have to pay attention to, right? Now let's look at NASA in general. NASA was, part of the creation was Aleister Crowley, who's known occultist, Jack Parsons, who is a philanderer, messed with the occult, and a rocket propulsion, he started uh, Jet Propulsion Labs, you had Werder von Braun, who is a known Nazi, just possibly guilty of war, criminals, or of war crimes, I should say. You have L. Ron Hubbard, who is now known for the Church of Scientology. Back in my day, I used to hear on TV, you know, Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard, that book that he put out. And then you have Walt Disney. So, this cast of characters all melding together to to produce NASA has to show you something about the origins of NASA, about the intentions of NASA. That it is... it wasn't always about science factual as they claimed. It was about science factual, the illusion that they were going to present to you about space. Because we can't go out there and touch it. You or I will never be able to go out and touch space. We'll never be able to visit space. Not unless that's a penalty they give to us to send us off to space and get us off this planet, get us off their realm. So what we have to understand is that, you know, NASA was created by some shady, shady characters. And we have to take everything they put out there with a grain of salt because of this. Even today. I mean, let's let's be real. They they try and tell us that they lost the technology to get to the moon and that we can't replicate it right now. Come on. Come on. If you believe that 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 jeep chassis that they threw some aluminum foil on was the moon, I got a bridge to sell you. All right. So again, occult involvement in Disney, right? And there is a lot of this. If you go into Disney and start looking deeper and deeper into Disney, you'll start seeing the themes of the occult, the witchcraft, the Illuminati, the Masonic symbols, the sexual overtones in Disney children's programming. And, and some of it borderline, I'm being satanic. And you don't believe me, look at all the witches and wizards in Disney. The magic. Are they always using it for good? No, there's a lot of times they're using it for dark. You look at movies like Snow White. The Sword in the Stone, Maleficent, The Little Mermaid, Fantasia, The sorcer- Sorcerer's Apprentice. And even in there, you had a, a, a wizard called Yensid, which is just Disney backwards, Disney inverted. Okay, Disney himself was a wizard, in a sense. Yeah, he casts spells through his programming. And one of the things I want to get back into is, is, is the CIA side of it, right? The ties to the CIA and that mind control program. So we look at MKUltra. The MKUltra program was officially in use from 1950-ish to about 1973. But since 1973, it's been classified. And just because it's classified doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It just means we don't have access to it. And through this program, they use things like hypnosis, LSD, interrogation, and other techniques to gain control of the subject. They like to create alter egos, alter personalities. And sometimes it's at the detriment of the real actors, the Disney employees. Okay, And, and there's this woman, Mary Lewis, she states... Certain themes have surfaced throughout the years, which to this day continue to amaze me as I hear them over and over. The Disney parks, MGM studios, Disney movies, Disney characters, and Disney songs have been used in conjunction with programming. My understanding of this is that using such a familiar and popular theme assures that the program will be triggered easily. However, sitting where I sit, hearing what I hear, and seeing what I see I cannot refute this truth anymore. So what she's saying there is that there are Disney themes that are used in this programming like Alice in Wonderland, uh, Snow White, Peter Pan, Tinkerbell, okay? And even the, the Mickey Mouse ears have been known to be used as symbols or triggers in the MKUltra mind control program. One of the things in the mind control program, one of the programs that they have, it's called the Beta Sex Slave. Okay? Using MKUltra, they take children, they can do it to adults too, it doesn't have to be children, But what they do with this is they get them to become sexual slaves. They create a sexual alter ego that can be activated at any time based on these triggers. Their moral compass is turned off because they are under control. And they'll behave like you've never seen before. What are some signs? What are some symbols? Well, you'll see things like they're dressed up like cats or in cat print. Bunnies, rabbits dressed up like that, bunny ears. Mickey Mouse ears, as I said before. You'll see some of them covering one eye. Right? These are all signs of being in the ultra program or monarch programming. These these patterns indicate sexual slavery. And one of the things we, you wonder, well, why? Why would they do things like this? Or do they do things like this? And I would say yes, they definitely do. You look at people like Britney Spears. She has multiple personalities. Christina Aguilera came out with her alter ego, Ex Tina. You have Miley Cyrus, who we'll get into here in a minute, as Hannah Montana. Two people, one girl. You get into Selena Gomez, Ryan Gosling, Lindsay Lohan, the list goes on and on and on of these Disney child actors who have serious issues and, ha- and show the signs of this sort of programming. So let's take a look at, at, at Hannah Montana or Miss Miley Cyrus as an example. Okay? She's a girl who lives a secret double life. She's just an average schoolgirl by day, and then a pretty and pink pop star at night. She's being used to socially engineer. Again, this is a term, this is like the mind control. She's being used to program others to see this as acceptable. one of the things you'll notice is, <clears throat> and, and one of the logos for Monarch, is the butterfly. Right? You'll see butterfly either dress, butterfly tattoos. You'll see butterfly uh, designs or patterns that... It, 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 and it's kind of interesting because if you look at Hannah Montana, again we go back to inversion, Hannah is spelt the same way forwards and backwards so what they're saying there is is when i split her personality she's still the same person but she's the different ego of it so if we go into this a little bit some of the things that i want to just show real high level because listen i'm going to do a whole nother episode on mind control and disney and how Disney films and Disney characters are under mind control and have been abused by mind control. But one of the other programmings that uh, is said to be used in Disney is called princess programming. And again, this is to create these high-level sex slaves, these obedient people. And most of them are children because their minds are so malleable. They're easily manipulated, especially once you separate them from their parents. And that's what Disney does a lot of the times. They separate them from the parents, rely on the agent or manager, who a lot of times has a shady past themselves. So, what this princess programming does is essentially it teaches these young girls that their only value can be gained by relationships with men. And to seek only men who have a high importance and place high importance on physical appearance and and ignore their intelligence and they consider money the main value system, okay? Okay. And and so we'll get into this. It says, through this programming, young women are often taught to value only what can be gained for themselves through relationships with men, to seek only men who can provide for them, to place paramount importance on their own physical appearance, to lure a male, to devalue the importance of their own intelligence, to seek money as their value system, and even to think that no man is good enough for them. Now this, this mindset of teaching young girls that their only value is in beauty is very detrimental to development and to their psychological state. So it may not seem like a lot to us, but the long term effects that it will have on the child or children is, is immeasurable. And it can destroy a life, you know, and you think back to that movie, The Butterfly Effect. Right, that on on two levels, that's a very interesting thing. Uh, film because on one side, you know what that says is that if you change one thing in your life, the entire life is different. Well, we look at this with the butterfly effect. This could have that by programming these these MK Ultra programs, these the psychological operations that are run on these people. It could have. It could take and it could have a long-lasting impact. Now, aside from these very big mind control, we got to look at Disney, the company itself, and the product that it puts out, right? And one of the things is we have to remember this is children's programming, right? This is for kids influential, and young kids. I know when my son was born, one of the things that he loved to watch was the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse with all the colors and the catchy songs and everything like that. And we let him watch it for a little bit. But we didn't just sit him there and let him stew in front of it like a lot of people do nowadays. Because as you start watching some of the Disney films and, and shows, you'll start seeing some of the darker themes in it. You know, you look at Disney and you'll see themes like kidnapping, violence, jealousy, abuse, neglect, and even murder. Murder in kids programming. Now, how can you sell that to me? How can you sell that to me as not being traumatic to a child? I remember to this day, the first time I saw Bambi and I saw Bambi's mother get shot in front of him. Never forget that. That's one of the, the you know most traumatic things, and if you look throughout Disney films, there's a reoccurring theme of death and darkness, right? And there's almost in almost every Disney film, there's almost at least one tragic death, right? That sets the tone for the mo- movie. And uh, actually, the the social science journal did a study on this. Uh, and they found that between 1937 and 2006, there were 561 instances of child abuse and mistreatment in Disney movies. 561 incidents of child abuse and mistreatment. Now, some of that may vary or range from, you know, being called a name to being physically punished. And so it says 62% of the main characters were being subjected to abuse on one or more occasions during the film. So that's over 300 incidents of the main character being abused at least once. Sometimes once wasn't good enough. And one of the interesting things about that is, 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 is if you look at Disney deeply, one of the themes that keeps coming up is the lack of nuclear family. Either one of the parents or both of the parents are gone, deceased, out of the picture. Now this is interesting because, you know, you see this a lot in fiction, you know, that the mother figure is left out, and I've I've always wondered why, and it doesn't really make sense to me why, other than the fact that your mother is that one person in your life, that rock in many people's lives, that keeps the household in order, that takes care of you when you're sick, that feeds you, right? They're the source of life for you, especially when you're a young child. Your mother is everything to you, or your father is everything to you, or both of them are everything to you. But in Disney films, over and over again, we keep seeing this deceased parent. Now, we can go back and try and say, well, that was Walt Disney, you know, still mourning the loss of his mother. Well, I don't know, because when Disney was alive, only in only three films was the mother deceased, one being Snow White in 1937, Bambi in 1941, and Cinderella in 1950. The majority of them were created after Disney had passed on, which would mean it was Roy Disney's productions at that point. But you have to wonder. I mean, we start looking at this, and, you know, one of the things they say is that, you know, they do it in Disney films because Disney films are about growing up. And that eventually, one day, you're going to have to accept responsibility for your life. But is murdering a character's mother really necessary to get that point across? Do we need to have. Bambi's mother or Simba's father murdered to see that that can't just be part of the story no they have to show it to you and that's trauma that's traumatic experience and it impacts you no matter how old or young you may be and let's look at some of these some of Disney's dead or missing parents you have Aladdin who's orphaned Bambi who we've mentioned mother was killed by hunters Belle There's no mother for her in the story. Cinderella's mother was dead. Ariel, her mother was killed by a pirate ship. Pocahontas, her mother was killed or deceased. Uh, Todd from Fox and the Hound, his mother was shot. Quasimodo, his mother was killed by Frollo. Tarzan's parents were mauled by a leopard. Simba's father was obviously murdered by Scar. Uh, Lilo from Lilo and Stitch. Her parents were killed in a car crash and she was actually adopted by her older sister. And then Nemo, whose mother is killed by a barracuda right in the beginning of the film. Now, that's not all. I mean, you look at movies like Frozen nowadays, Despicable Me, it still goes on. Or you go as far as having the wicked stepmother like they did in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs or Cinderella, or Enchanted. So they show an evil mother if they don't have one. Now let's look at some other m- mothers who were killed, died, or were captured, kidnapped. These are just as traumatic. We go through Dumbo, Bambi, Jungle Book, Fox and the Hound, Little Mermaid, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Tarzan, Atlantis, Lilo and Stitch, Finding Nemo, Brother Bear, Frozen, Big Hero 6. We'll look at some that have no parents. You have like Pinocchio, Peter Pan, Sword in the Stone, The Rescuers, The Great Mouse Detective, Oliver and Company, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Pocahontas, The Emperor's New Groove, Lilo and Stitch, Finding Nemo, Big uh, Brother Bear. We'll go into uh, Ratatouille, Phineas and Ferb, Wreck-It Ralph, Big Hero 6, Okay, the list goes on and on and on where there is a mother, a parent missing, and the darkness of that for a young child. I mean, so let's look at some of the others. You know, you have Cruella Deville in 101 Dalmatians. She terrorizes young children, right? Those puppies. That's what she's going after innocent puppies. And she wants to make a jacket out of them. I mean, look at Fox and the Hound. By the end of the movie, the Hound and the Fox are fighting each other to the death. What about Old Yeller? Where the boy has to shoot his own dog because he has rabies. I mean, over and over again is trauma induced into this. Into Disney movies. And it really makes you wonder why. Why the trauma? Why the need for it? And it goes back to what I believe is that Disney has been inverted. What was meant to be wholesome entertainment in the beginning with Mickey Mouse has turned into a tool for programming America's youth. And it is what it is, folks. You can you can get mad at me and tell me I'm crazy, but look at all those instances. It's not just a coincidence. Okay? And if you if you think that's bad, wait till we get into the mind control episode, next episode, where we start looking at actual instances of mind control. Where you know visible evidence of these people being mind control subjects and that programming is powerful and that's their tool is they have been able to play the good guy all the while subliminally filtering you with occult imagery trauma and negative themes okay and this isn't just relegated to the Disney uh, cartoons and, and productions. It's also the people. There's a serious problem in America and in worldwide with pedophilia, with sexual assault of minors. Okay? And Disney is no different. And I found this completely bizarre. Why would Walt Disney Cruise Lines have ties with Jeffrey Epstein's island. Disney Cruise Lines offered a cruise that reportedly stops at Little St. James Island, a.k.a. Epstein Island, where you could go snorkeling off the island. That sounds like fun. Just let some kids go snorkeling adventure on an island known for sexual deviance and pedophiles? Nothing to see here. No. I mean, come on, guys. If we can't see this, this is just pure evil. Now, let me, let me follow that up with, what's even more concerning is that between 2000 and 2014, nearly 200 passengers went missing from Disney cruise ships. And because of the maritime laws, they have no protection. There's no compensation for any of the children who die, or anyone who dies. Okay? And so we look at this, and then we're like, okay, well, that's that's a one-off. Well, there were rumors of Disney's execs being tied to Lolita Express, which is the plane that carried people to Jeffrey's, Epstein's island. Disney execs, that were reportedly tied to the Lolita Express. Now, if that doesn't, doesn't raise an eyebrow, I don't know what will. So let's look at this. In 2014, Disney had an employee, Disney Cruise employee, accused of molesting a 13-year-old girl. 2015, a Disney employee raped a female outside the House of Blues on Disney property. And here's where we start getting into the big guns. 2017, a Disney executive charged for molesting 10 to 15-year-old children. 2018, James Gunn was fired from the Guardians of the Galaxy for making offensive tweets, rape jokes, and pedo jokes. But it took some push to get him fired. 2018, Disney World and Lego workers were arrested in a child porno sting. Eleven suspects in the sting from Central Florida, some of whom work for Disney World. And then in 2019, the vice president of Disney was sentenced to more than six years for raping a seven-year-old girl. A Disney vice president... This isn't just some regular Joe on the street. This is an executive, a high executive at Disney. And then even this year, we've had two instances of Disney employees. Kyle Massey, an actor. He was arrested for sending pornographic images to a 13-year-old girl. Drake Bell, another Disney employee. Guilty of the same thing, or charged with, I said allegedly char- uh, guilty of the same thing, with a 15 year old girl that he knew. And in less than 10 years, Disney had 35 employees arrested on child sex charges. Okay? 35. Now, granted, Disney has thousands of employees, so it's a small percentage. But, where there is smoke, there is fire. And this is not a good sign. So let's get into some of the Disney actors that have had issues. Child actors. One of the main ones most people have heard of is Demi Lovato. She claims that a, another Disney actor had sex with her at 15, and Disney made her continue to work with him. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting, and there's no justifying that. Ricky Garcia claims he was sexually assaulted at 12 for many years by his Disney talent manager. Disney talent manager. Jordan Pruitt claimed at 14 her manager sexually assaulted her, and Disney did nothing to protect her, is what she claims. Bella Thorne was sexually abused from the age of 6 to 14, and worked for Disney during a couple of those years. Nothing was done. I mean, we look at other examples of of not necessarily sexual deviance, but like Shia LaBeouf and all the issues he's had, Britney Spears and all the issues she's had, Lindsay Lohan, all the issues she's had, these are all Mickey Mouse Club kids. Okay? Now let's look at that. It's very interesting because if you look at Mouseketeers, MK. Mouseketeers, MK Ultra. Maybe just a coincidence, but again, I don't believe in coincidences. We'll look at the Mickey Mouse Club, MMC. Monarch mind control, and nowadays they have the Mickey Mouse clubhouse, right? With with it's a cartoon, animated version. Now I'm not saying that it is devious mind control, but it's all programming, and it's called programming for a reason. Okay, so let's look at a few of the. You know, you're saying, ah, oh, well, you know, this this doesn't really. Go with me. Well, let's look at some of the images in the movie. Now, you have to understand, when they create a cartoon, an animation, they do it cell by cell. So everything that is placed in that cell is there for a purpose. It's not an accident. It's intentional. So let's look at the Little Mermaid movie. Why is it that when the Little Mermaid is getting married to her prince... That the priest gets an erection. Not a coincidence, folks. His pants move and gets a giant erection. Why? In a kid's movie. What is the purpose of that? Even if it's a joke by the animators. It's disgusting. You look at the cover of The Little Mermaid. The towers look just like giant cocks. You can't make this stuff up, guys. Look at the cover. Little Mermaid. The towers all look like giant penises. You look at Lelo and Stitch. On the wall in there is pictures of children half naked on the wall of her bedroom. You look at the rescuers down under and they're riding in a cart. And in the background you see a bare-chested woman with her boobs hanging out in a kid's cartoon. Okay, who framed Roger Rabbit, it says, for a good time, call Alice in Wonderland on the bathroom stall. I mean, guys, these are little things that, listen, they may not sound like much, but it's perversion. It's subliminal messaging. It's programming. And even if you're not believing in the message, the message is still being delivered to you. You're still receiving it. So... You know, as we go through all of this, the one thing that I I came out of this with is that, you know, this wholesome clean image that I thought Disney had, it's gone. It's gone. Disney is corrupt just like every other big corporation out there. And Disney is used for a purpose. Okay? And and in my heart of hearts, I believe, after doing my research, that Disney is used for programming. Specifically, programming America's youth. And we start looking at some of the more recent Disney productions, and you start seeing a lot of the uh, gay parent household. They just had a, their first transgender character. Now, listen. I have, you can be whatever you want to be. I don't care. Just don't force it down my kid's throat. All right. Especially when it has to do with sexuality. All right. I don't want you involved. That's my job as a parent, is to teach my kid about that at the appropriate time. Not because they're watching some Disney film when they're five years old, and they start asking questions. That's not the appropriate time for young kids. Young kids' brains are so malleable. They're so... They can be influenced so easily. That a lot of this stuff that Disney does, although they claim it to be, you know, social justice and equality for all, it's the exact opposite. It's perverting the youth. With things that they should not be dealing with at that age. Alright, and that's why we have the problems, some of the problems that we have today with this. Is because it is programmed into our children. And one of the things I want you to get out of this is that, listen, just because it has the Disney name and logo on it, doesn't mean it's great for your children. And at the same time, it doesn't mean that it's going to totally pervert your children. But what you need to do is you need to be present. You need to understand what they are taking in because what these children take in through their eyes and their ears will shape them in the future. And if you are not there to solidify their base, they are going to go off of what they've been programmed to do, whether they know it or not. So this is my... Just heads up to parents out there to to take everything, question everything. Again, that's the name of this podcast, The Great Deception. Everything has two sides. Everything has three sides in reality. There's yours, there's mine, and there's the truth. But in this instance, what I really want to show is how Disney is not the happiest place on earth. There's a lot of darkness to Disney and to just... One of the things I've seen is that there is a cult of Disney. There are Disney followers who worship Disney and the Disney characters like many people that go to church. And it's scary because it is a cult. I know a lot of people that if they hear this, they'd never talk to me again. And I'm fine with that because I know this is true. I know this is real and I know this is a problem. And that's why I want to get it out there. And for anybody that, you know, says that I'm crazy or says that this is all bullshit, go do your research. Look into it. And you're going to see that it's not all roses like they want you to believe. It's not all wholesome programming. A lot of this Disney stuff and a lot of the people that work for Disney have serious issues. So just be careful. Be cautious. Pay attention. To what you're consuming. Because what you listen to and what you watch is just as important as what you eat. It will shape you. It will make you. And sometimes it will break you. Alright folks, well that's all I have for tonight. Like I said, uh, stay tuned for the next episode where we're going to go into a little deeper dive into the MKUltra program and uh monarch mind control program and how it influences not only disney but also the entertainment industry and uh this should be a good one i'm really looking forward to that i got some good information on that and uh we'll get that rolling here shortly so if you guys could do me a favor leave me a rating good or bad leave a comment i'd appreciate it let me know how it's going any feedback is appreciated Well, everyone enjoy your night, stay strong, and question everything. Is there a secret history of the United States intentionally hidden by the mainstream media? Could there be a secret society of fat money businessmen whose agenda has been the cause of every major war and economic depression? Is there a shadowy elite gently pulling the strings of our world to bring about their own self-serving political program? The answers may surprise you. The creation of the Federal Reserve System was about more than just money. Some refer to it as the secret birth of a criminal conspiracy to rob the American middle class of its hard-earned wealth. Others believe it to be part of an attempt to bring the world under the control of a shadowy international elite that calls itself a new world Order.